guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. My name is Andrew Frezza, and today I'm joined by Jay Williams, who's the owner of two CrossFit gyms, CrossFit Hale and CrossFit Thames. And uh, welcome to the show, Jay. Good to have you on. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure. I've listened to the show for a while, so it's really an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for becoming a listener. I know we met for the first time back at Iron and Mortar last June, I think it was, or July, and. Uh, I immediately had a connection to you because uh, your presentation there, you were one of the speakers at the event and it was all about very, very aligned with atomic habits, very aligned with uh, taking action, taking accountability with, with someone else. Um, and I thought that was really cool. So it was very fitting for the weekend and very aligned with the way I see things and the way um, I've always found to be uh, effective at taking action. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I think maybe that's why I like your podcast. Very action oriented. Do this <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, wanted to have you on, Jay. I've been wanting to have you on for a while, but um, you've you've always been very coming in at clutch times for me. You've you know listen, you'll listen to an episode, shoot me an email, and say, "Hey, have you thought about this? Have you looked into this?" And um, it's it's always like you give me that the right little nugget at the right time, which is is really cool. Um, but I wanted you to just give us some background first before we go too far into anything, give us a background on you. So we get a little synopsis on like where you're coming from with this. Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, if we do a, a quick rewind back in 2006 or so, I, um, I basically needed to get in shape. <laughs> I tried, to, <laughs> I tried like 10 different things, boot camps and running and all this stuff. Um, I had, I used to play basketball years before that I got a knee injury, ended up, uh, ended up gaining about a hundred pounds because I had a job sitting behind a desk. And, um, in 2007, I got an opportunity to move to London, uh, for my, for like a job transfer. And I just, mm -hmm. I just felt like it was time to do something. Like I was making all this change. So I needed to like do something to get in shape. So, um, I, it just so happened that, uh, one of my boot camps had turned into a CrossFit gym. They were emailing me. So first lesson is they emailed me for 18 months before I joined. Um, once a month, every month for 18 months. So wow. uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this, uh, follow-up is the key. Um, so I finally joined and, you know, the first few workouts kicked my butt and, you know, you, you know the rest. I mean, it basically is just like, it was something that felt like playing basketball again. And, uh, and I ended up losing 40 pounds in like two or three months and then moved to London and lost another 60 pounds over the course of the next year or two. And, uh, I was just hooked. Um, but when I got to London, there were no CrossFit gyms. And so I would do CrossFit in like a, uh, you know, a regular gym and mm -hmm. uh, they, were, they were pretty cool about it. But at a certain point they were like, yeah, no more chalk, you know, you can't monopolize all the machines. Uh, and stuff like that. So, uh, so I ended up finding a small group of people that were doing something like CrossFit. And uh, one of them was about to open a gym. So I got a level one, coached with him for about a month, maybe two, three months. And I mm -hmm. thought immediately like, oh, we could do better. Um, and it's not that they were doing it wrong. In fact, they have a very successful gym that still goes to this day. But they were just getting started just, just like the rest of us were. And I just thought, Ah, you know, let me just give this a try. So we opened a small gym in London and uh, long story short, that turned into my full-time job. Eventually I quit the, the regular job 
uh, moved back to California after having my daughter and uh, trying to deal with a visa issue and ended up, ended up being kind of stuck here and opened another gym here in California. And uh, so now I have two gyms, <laughs> uh, one in London and one in California, and both of them are still doing well, despite the current situation. Um, and, uh, and I've just been doing it ever since. I mean, this 2000, I think 2008, we opened in mm -hmm. London, and maybe 2009. And uh, so it's been over, over 10 years. And when did CrossFit Hill open up in California? Uh, 2013. So, nice. um, so I was in London for about, uh, five years or so. And, uh, the last year, year and a half, I, I had quit my full-time regular job to run the gym full-time. And, um, and then when we came back dealing with the visa issues, I, um, I, it was kind of one of those things where I wasn't going to be able to go back to London and I didn't want to do anything else with my life. And so I figured let's just let's just try it again here in California. Uh, nice. So, so yeah. Well, I don't know if you know that we both have ties to London. Uh, me and my now wife went over there in 2010. We thought we were gonna be able to live over there and work over there. It ended up turning into just an extended vacation. But that actually was the place that I had decided that we were gonna open up across the gym, not in London. But I decided when we came back to the U.S. that. I was going to get my level one. I was going to coach and that my goal was to open up a gym. So it's interesting that we have that connection that is from amazing. Florida and California. Part of London did you, uh, did you live in? Uh, so we were in the heart of London. Um, we had the place we stayed the longest was right by Hyde Park there. Um, I forget the, the nearest uh, tube station there, but right by Hyde Park. Um, it, was, it was beautiful. Loved it there. We lived in uh, Westminster, and actually, when we opened our gym, meetup.com was a big thing. I think it's still around, but we used mm -hmm. to do free CrossFit workouts at Hyde Park. That's, that's an awesome park. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We probably uh, walked past each other once and didn't even know about that. Where, where are you at today with the gyms? Do you feel like you, you, you have really good, let's say, investment in both gyms, or do you feel like CrossFit Hale is now your gym? and you're more like consultant to the other one, or do you feel like you're really in the heart of both of those two gyms? Well, I mean, honestly, living 5,000 miles away from your business, it's really hard to stay involved in the day-to-day. -day. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's something I learned pretty quickly back in 2013, before we opened Hale, and I was trying to kind of manage Thames from afar, and I would be on the phone like three hours a day, and then know, trying to answer emails and do all this stuff. And it just wasn't working. Um, it didn't, it, it's not the same, right? You're just not there. And so over time, and it was very painful, <laughs> uh, over time, I had to let go of some of that stuff and, uh, and just trust that the people there were going to be able to, to do it. And um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent owner of that gym. The people that are running it now are, are part owners as well. Um, so I, I do play more of a, uh, you know, a consultant role there and I do, um, you know, I help them with things that I can, but it doesn't do me any good to answer the emails or update the website or do the programming or anything like that because I'm just not there. I can't see the clients, uh, mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Um, so that, that process 
it was like things were going really well. This was 2013. Things were going really well. And then because I wasn't there and I wasn't willing to let stuff go, it started to suffer. Yeah. And, and then the folks that were there saw that it was suffering and said, well, we're just going to do what we think is right. And then they started doing that and it started to recover. And that's mm-hmm. when I really just kind of let it go. Um, it helped that I had a whole separate gym that I had to run um, because that kept me busy and we would share ideas and stuff like that. But um, that was actually one of the best lessons about not going back is learning how to trust the people that work for me. So knowing, knowing that and what you've learned there, um, why not open another location nearby where you are? Why not expand? Why haven't you expanded over the years you know, to something that would be in California that you could have more of a hands-on perspective on, but you could also take the skill set you've learned in, uh, you know, in London of not being so hands-on and letting someone take the reins. Why haven't you done something like that? So a um, couple of reasons. Number one is uh, as much as we think we have learned our lesson, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it always comes back to bite you and you end up having to keep relearning it until you finally get it. Um, I was really trying to control everything, uh, you know, at a different gym, right? And so as I've started to let that go, and, you know, I don't do a whole lot there now, but as I've started to let that go, I realized that actually this, you know, it's leading into the second part. You're only able to have a successful business if you have really good people, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I switched my focus from, trying to make sure that the business was perfect to try and make sure that the people were the right people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know this well, cause you know, you've done a couple podcasts to talk about how you hire and stuff like that and how you train people. Ultimately, if you have really good people, then you can expand as much as you want, right? As much as they can handle. If you don't, then you can barely keep your doors open um, because you're having to work around those people. And so we, we had to learn that lesson all over again. And we've been through a few different types of people. And we're now at a point where like, I feel like if I do too much at the gym at, at either gym, then I just mess things up. I get in the way because yeah. the, the people are so much, I mean, I have coaches that are so much better at programming than I ever was. Right. And much better at like engagement and things like that than I ever was. Um, and so I've really tried to narrow my focus to just the things that will make the biggest impact. Um, so doesn't answer your question directly. Uh, I have tried to expand and that's another conversation. It's not easy and it's not cheap. And there's a lot of other things that you have to kind of deal with. And ultimately when you look at it, you have one location, one giant location, right? Yeah. You can do a lot with one good gym, right? You do not, especially now we're in the middle of the shelter in place. Like what good would it be for me to have three locations (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um it might actually be better to have one and just make sure the influence of that one has spread much much further yeah i've heard i think i've heard jason khalifa mention this as well that like almost one of the reasons that they expand or one of their uh ways that they know that they're ready to expand is when they're expanding to create opportunities for their staff so they're basically feel like well if we limit ourselves to just this one location we're almost putting a ceiling on what our team can grow into over time. Do you ever first see a situation for yourself where you're opening up a second and third location because you have 
whether that be you have a good system of developing members or just through your influence and being around the industry over the years, you have good people coming to you and you're trying to find a spot for them. Do you ever see anything like that coming down the road for you? Yeah. I mean, if you would have asked me this question three months ago, I would probably have a different answer than I have now. <laughs> um, and the answer would have been, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's part of why we attempted to expand in the first place is to give more opportunities to people. But you know, we've, our gym has been closed for four weeks as, as is yours. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, I gotta tell you, you can do a lot without a physical location. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm, I'm surprised at how fast we've reacted, you know, due, due to shelter in place. And I'm surprised at how well it's gone. Now, when everybody leaves the house, that might change, but it's, it's showed me how good the people that we have actually are and how much more we could do to reach our potential before we start thinking about taking on that kind of responsibility. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Adding another brick and mortar location is not the only way to expand. There's many ways to expand outside of that and probably more uh, higher profit margin and, and higher um, leverage ways, ways that you can reach more people without having brick and mortar as a limitation. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, this has forced us, as, as brick and mortar locations to get online more, right? Mm -hmm. And getting online more, you start to see the people who are really doing it well online and you see what they're doing. And then you compare that to all of the other gyms that are like yours. And you realize that's a whole different game. And if you just take one or two steps in that direction, it can make a huge difference for your brick, brick and mortar location. So let's talk a little bit about here, present day coronavirus. Um, what what are you it's it's april 16th as we're recording this um what are you right now doing with your gym and then also just as importantly what are you choosing not to do because i think there's so many good ideas being thrown out and i, I would consider them all good ideas but if you try to do everything they're no longer good ideas so what are you guys choosing to do right now putting your time into and what are you opting not to do right now well, I'll, I'll save the discussion of, you know, protecting your cash and, you know, limiting the downside because, um, you know, there's a lot of options for that. And, you know, I hope people have taken advantage of those. Uh, so once we kind of got past that initial shock, then it was like, okay, so let's say this thing lasts for 30 days or six weeks or whatever the initial uh, assessment was, what are we going to do for the next six weeks? And we decided that, our goal was to try to over deliver on the membership that we were already charging. Yep. Right. And so, you know, if somebody's paying 200 bucks a month or whatever they're paying at your gym, how can you deliver 300 bucks a month worth of value given that they can't come to the gym? We did a lot of the things that you would expect. I mean, we said, okay, we're going to create some online workouts that people can do. We started doing zoom workouts. We offered one-on-one -on -one training. We offered some personalized training. We lent out equipment to people. Um, we lent out like dumbbells and, uh, kettlebells and stuff like that. Um, and the most important, and probably if I were to do an 80, 20 analysis on what worked, the most important thing we did was reach out to every individual every single week. Yeah. And, and sometimes multiple times a week, especially if they were struggling, took a whole list of our people. And we did this at both gyms, took a whole list of our people. We divided them among, uh, you know, among the coaches. And I said mm -hmm. to the coaches, look, 
if we keep all these people, then you can all stay employed, right? So you have this list of people that you know, like, and trust, and they know, like, and trust you. Just reach out to them like every, every day if you need to, right? Make sure that they're moving. Make sure they're happy. Like this is not just about getting a workout in. If they just need to talk, then talk to them. You guys all know how to do that. And, uh, and as a result, we've kept uh, in our London gym, which is much more challenging, we've kept 80% of our clients um, you know, as of this recording. And then at the California gym, it's something like 90%. Um, but actually, that's not really the main thing. The main thing is that we, ha we had relationships with those people, and then we continued to nurture those relationships. So that was the most important thing we did. And even four weeks in, if you haven't done this and you're worried, that's a great step to take is just start texting all your people. At least it will make you feel like they support you. The second thing. You, we did, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say you, that was actually something we had talked uh, maybe a couple months ago and you had heard a podcast and then you had recommended me, recommended to me, like just start reaching out to your people, just start reaching out one-on-one. -on -one. And it's, it seems like that's never a bad strategy because two months ago or six months from now, when we are back into biz into business, that's going to develop stronger relationships. It's a huge opportunity for upsells or, you know, people think of upsells as like sometimes gym owners look at it as a bad thing in the sense of, well, am I just calling to try to sell them on something and drive my revenue up? But a lot of times an upsell means that something is missing for the client today that you can provide for them. And then it might actually happen to have a revenue boost for you, but it seems like it's always a good time to reach out one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, always. Yeah, I mean, so two things about that. Uh, number one, so Jason, Jason Rule of Driven Nutrition is, uh, is a friend of mine. And I did an interview with him one time and he told me, I don't remember how many clients it was, but it was in the thousands, right? And he basically tries to reach out to them individually in some way as often as he can. And it's like, you know, you got 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 clients or whatever, and he's still able to do that. And he doesn't mm -hmm. actually physically see these people because it's, you know, they're gyms all over the world. And he's able to do that and scale that in a way where, you know, there's only him and a few other people at his company. If he's able to do it, then we can do it with a few hundred people or even a thousand, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then the second thing is, you know, you said that thing about sales. Um, another Jason, Jason Kalipa, when you talk to him, he, he's, a, he's such a great guy, but he, it feels like he's always trying to sell you something. And I talked to him once and I said, dude, you're always trying to sell me something. And he's like, well, yeah, because if I don't tell you about something that's going to help you, then I'm doing you a disservice. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as a result, he's got 20 gyms, right? And, and that's like, you, you have to do that stuff. That's part of your job. So, um, so yeah, reaching out to people individually, always a good strategy. And it's a great way to build your business for the long term. Um, second thing we did was we, and this is different for each gym, right? So at our California gym, we decided that we're not going to, we're not going to change anything about our offer or anything that we're doing for our clients, at least right away. What we're going to try to do is use this time to help them as much as possible virtually, which meant producing as much content as we could produce. And so can we do more videos? Can we do more podcasts? Uh, can we, uh, you know, do more writing, whatever it is. Um, 
the thing that we settled on is we started doing a live show every day uh, starting in April where we just go live and we talk about different topics with different members or coaches uh, or even just outside guests. And then we go through whatever the workout of the day is. And it was just a simple way to keep people connected and um, people have responded to it. And it, it's just, it's just one of those things that we never probably would have done this otherwise, but because we're in this, unique situation. It forced us to kind of stretch and try something new. And we just did a recap of this uh, yesterday, actually, in, in a staff meeting. What, what have we done that's worked and that we're going to keep? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the two things were, one, we, because we divided up all the clients and the coaches reached out to them, that's why they stuck around. So we're going to keep doing that no matter what. Right? Yeah. It's an old idea you've heard before, but it's been a while since we've done it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then the second is some sort of daily communication. Like that, show, that daily show is like one of the best things we've ever done. Am I committed to doing it every day for 365 days a year? You know, check with me next year. <laughs> so, so what does that like look like today? Uh, what time do you, got, do you guys go live every day? And like how many people do you have on? And like what are the actual topics that you're digging into? So uh, we go live at 7.30 every day. It's about 15 to 30 minutes. Um, and it's in our private Facebook group for the members. And uh, we, it's, it's evolved. It was me just on my, my uh, screen like this for a little mm-hmm. while. And then, you know, I've kind of added all this gear uh, since I've started going. I just tried to get a little bit better every day. Um, the first couple of days we did it, it was really heavy. And I talked about things like, you know, how to stay stoic in the face of this and, you know, life is hard and all this. And then I realized like people don't want to hear that at 730 in the morning. So we, we try to keep it really light. You know, I started telling silly jokes and uh, now we basically start off by just having just a quick conversation with a guest, right. To, to, you know, let people join. Then we uh, have coffee. I say the tagline for my gym and then I, uh, and then we go into whatever the topic of the day is. So topics are different each day. Sometimes it's just a Q&A with somebody. Uh, today we did food prep. Um, we, uh, we had uh, someone from the local food bank recently where we talked about how to volunteer. Um, you know, just things like that. Things that people that do the type of training that we do would still be interested in, but maybe not mm-hmm. directly related to training. And, nice. then, um, and then we finish by just going through the workout of the day for tomorrow. And so, um, and I try to keep it 30 minutes or less, but that generally depends on how much, how many questions that I get. Um, and I'll tell you the first couple of days, it was like, Hey, look at this. You guys are live. It's nice to see you. And then they just leave <laughs> now. And now since we've gotten a little bit better, the topics have gotten more interesting. People stay on the whole time and then they ask questions and stuff. And, and it's, it's really fun. It's really engaging. I feel like I get to talk to, you know, 20, 30 people every morning. We've only been doing this for two weeks. Um, nice. and so, uh, and so I get to engage with people and then we post the replays. So then people watch it afterwards. Uh, so that, that's kind of how it works. And I would imagine that you, you have to come in with a topic. If you just come in saying this is going to be Q and a, you're going to get crickets, right? You have to kind of break the seal, have something to, to direct people's attention to get them comfortable feel like they're not on the spot with the questions they asked. And then once you kind of open up with the topic, then you might get some feedback and questions in return. Yes. 
So you'd be, you'd be proud of me because you're very process oriented, but I actually have a script that I go through every single day. And it's like, there's like 10 or 12 things just to make sure that the sound is right and the video is right and the lighting is right and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and I send it to people usually about 12 to 24 hours ahead of time, um, just so that they know what kind of questions that they're going to get. Mm. Um, at the top of that, there is a link to an article by, um, her name is, I think, Vanessa Van Edwards that talks about how to, how to look your best on video. And so they have, you know, all these tips that they can do and they, you know, people put their eyeliner on and they get the lighting right and stuff. And so they're like, I thought you were wearing makeup today. Yeah. You're good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so like, there's just a checklist and a little bit of an agenda and it's not, I mean, it takes five minutes to put the agenda together. It's not like super technical. I don't, like I said, I try not to keep it to make it too heavy. How can you see this playing long-term You're back open run and running normal classes, normal schedule. How do you see this potentially looking long-term? once a week or maybe not at all? What do you think? So I think as a gym owner and going back to an earlier question, you asked me like, how, what kind of role do you play as the owner? I think as a gym owner, the role that's hardest to fill is that of the sort of branding and marketing of your, of your business, right? Like you can find coaches that can be really good coaches. You can find people to clean your floors. You can find people to answer the phones, but it's hard to find someone that can send the message of your business for you. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, and so the way I, what I realized pretty quickly, because uh, I was teaching some of the Zoom classes, I realized like, I can't do that anymore. Like I have to spend the time focused on this daily show or some of the content that we're producing. So the answer to your question is, I do think this looks like something we do on a regular basis. Is it, it may be five days a week. It might be, you know, three days a week, something like that. But if I told you that by me spending, I would say a total of an hour a day on my business that I was going to keep clients and bring in new clients every single day. Like if I took, if I, if I said, that's what you have to do for your business to be successful, you'd probably do it. Yeah. I mean, and if that's all that I end up having to do, I will do that every day. You know, the other thing about it, the reason why we did it in this format is because I wanted practice on how to, how to go live, how to look good on video, how to, uh, you know, how to improve my public speaking so that I could translate that into something like maybe some YouTube videos or some Mm. marketing videos, or even just being better in front of a crowd. And if it, if I can do that and also provide useful information, it's worth the effort. At this time, do you feel like you're playing offense right now in your business? Do you feel like you're playing defense? Do you feel like you're sort of uh, trying to keep people from leaving, uh, you know, saving money, kind of biding your time right now, or are there things that you're doing offensively right now, whether it be long-term planning long-term vision for the business restructuring things the foundation of your business so once you do get back and up and up and running you're going to be able to hit the ground running are you doing new lead generation right now like where does that fall for you you playing offense or defense right now that's a that's really a great question i almost always go for offense uh i feel like there's you know if you think about 
and it's you know the analogy is kind of funny because like you know defense wins championships <laughs> okay whatever but um i always go for offense because there's unlimited upside right to to getting better at sales and marketing to uh you know doing things that are going to help retain your clients whereas if you're playing defense like how am i going to keep these people or how am i going to you know save money or whatever there's only so much that you can that you can do there's only so much you can cut back right mm -hmm. and so you know and, and the other part is i actually think there's a lot more people that you can hire that will help you play good defense so for example if you're trying to cut costs you know you can hire, hire an accountant to come and analyze your costs and tell you exactly where to cut costs right uh if you're trying to figure out your you know best retention rates like you can have somebody analyze numbers right but if you want to bring new people in, like this is the problem that every business needs to solve or else it goes out of business is how to bring new people in. There's a lot fewer resources out there that will actually help you do that. Right. And so if I spend my time playing offense, then I can earn enough money to hire someone to help me play defense. Does that make sense? For sure. So, so is there anything in, in terms of offense? Where you're saying, okay, we've had this gap in time. We're going to open our doors with a little bit of a clean slate. We're going to do this different when we start back up, or we're going to work towards this, you yeah. know, and, and hopefully by two years from now, we'll have that ready and in place. So it's pretty clear that content is, is 100% what we should be spending time on. I mean, that is long-term investment, right? If you write, when you say we own oh, gym owners, gym owners or business yeah. owners. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, business owners in general. Yeah. So what I'm seeing here is uh, if you have really good blog posts that address concerns that people have, then that stuff will stick around over time. Right. So right now people are at home, they're trying to get their workouts in, or maybe they're just not doing anything. You need to be creating content that addresses that concern. Right. So whether it's a blog post or a YouTube video or whatever, uh, I'm not as big of a fan of putting stuff on Instagram and Facebook uh, unless you're just promoting things because that stuff disappears after 48 hours. Um, and so getting better at content and producing long-term content is where we're spending a lot of our time. The second thing that we're doing is, you know, if you really embrace technology in this, you start to realize like most other brick and mortar gyms are not doing that. And so if you're, if you spend the time to learn, for example, how to run a really good Zoom class or how to, you know, maybe as more of a longer term thing, how to deliver personal training one-on-one -on -one via Zoom, then all of a sudden that client that left you because they moved from Florida to Indiana, they don't have to leave you, right? <laughs> you mm -hmm. can still work with that client or, you know, you can have a coach work with that client and you can still, you can still offer them very similar experience, but it's just remote. And so what we're putting together is we're re-looking at our pricing and our offer sheet and saying, okay, well, how would we add a remote component to this? Mm. You know, it's, it's not that we want to get into the business of being a, you know, we're not going to compete against Peloton or all the other remote coaches that are out there, but we do a lot to try to bring people into our gyms. And so if they need to leave for some reason or another, we can still have an offer that will work for them. Or even better, those people that can only come in once a week because they have some crazy schedule, you can still give them workouts and you can still give them things to do at home. So we're recrafting our initial offer 
to try to like your 40 days to fit that you do mm-hmm. to try to uh, address that remote coaching concern as well. And, um, and while still keeping people as part of the community. So we've already started that process and um, it doesn't look that much different than what we offered in the brick and mortar location. Cause I don't know about you, but we may be able to open in a month, but it's never going to be the same. Right. I think yeah. things are going to be a little bit, there's going to be friction for a long time. Yeah. So, I think it'll be until I'm thinking this time next year until we really have the full confidence of the consumer, maybe longer, but I, I think, I, I believe some of the experts that say there will be some kind of an uptick in the fall again, even if the summer quiets down. And until realistically you have the vaccine and all the antibody tests, people are going to be a little paranoid about it just because of the way the media is approaching it. Even if it, if it ends up looking more like a traditional flu, it's just going to have this stigma to it that's going to keep a certain level of confidence down in the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so when you look at when you look at what we can do, well, what we can do is set ourselves up so that we're embracing that as a reality. Because this is a, I mean, this is, I don't know a whole lot about the virus. I know everything, you know, that everyone reads in the, in the articles and stuff, but I can tell you that this is, this kind of thing has never happened in my lifetime. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Never had to shut down the whole world for four weeks. I mean, that's, that's never happened before and it's going to be a defining event of, and that will change the way that we look at the world. And so mm-hmm. your business, you need to step, take a step back and think about what your business is about. And if it is only tied to the brick and mortar location, you're going to s- continue to suffer. So you need to embrace what your new business could be. Does yeah, so for sure. I mean, one of the things that we, that I feel very strongly about is the I think the next direction of the coach is someone that sort of oversees the entire health and fitness picture of the client. And I think it's less about that coach being the person who's executing the exercise, more so than building out the entire sort of like wellness program without stepping out of our, our boundaries too much, our scope too much, but building out the wellness program from a nutrition, fitness, sleep kind of a perspective. And we're, we're utilizing True Coach right now. We have, uh, I think we're up to about 120 of our athletes. We're offering this as included in their membership, have migrated over to True Coach and have daily accountability and check-ins with one of our coaches. Um, and it's really cool because um, we can customize in many ways. Are you guys, are you seeing that? Do you disagree with that? Or how are you incorporating it if you do agree with that? I, I 100% agree. I mean, I don't use the, the, the same software, but uh, I 100% agree because right now the things that we're talking to our clients about are, you know, are you getting enough sleep? Like, you know, are you, are you eating fruits and vegetables? Like, are you mm-hmm. getting, are you getting just general daily activity? Not, not yeah. work of the day, but like, are you walking? You know, <laughs> like if you're used to, you used to walk five, 10,000 steps a day and now you go down to 2000, it doesn't matter that I give you a hard workout to do. Like your activity level is not going to match your intake, you know? And so, um, and so, yeah, we're having a lot of conversations like that and we're texting people constantly. And it turns out that some of the people that we felt like needed to show up every day to class they don't need to show up every day to class to get coached, right? They, they actually are doing a lot of workouts on their own 
they want to know that someone's looking out for them and is Mm -hmm. guiding them in the right direction. You know, they don't necessarily need to show up live on a zoom call to go in the right direction. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how, when you look at the full picture of an individual uh, and you look at high intensity exercise, whether that be in a class setting or now remote, how very few, very little does that actually become the prescription for someone? Like, I mean, we, we all love this. Like, you know, me and you are still pretty diehard into this in terms of doing it ourselves as athletes, as well as being heavily invested in our businesses. But when you look at something like base level movement, like going out for a walk, I'm often, when I work one-on-one with someone, I'm often going for that first before the intense exercise. Or when I find that someone only has, someone has skipped two weeks of training, I'd rather them work out moderately hard for 20 minutes and get something in than think they have to do something super crazy or intense for 60 minutes in order for it to be a successful day. So it's those, those tiny habits that build momentum versus trying to get big home runs all the time with, you know, longer, tougher workouts. Yeah. The, the, the t- <laughs> Did you purposefully say tiny habits? Cause I was going to recommend that book. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have not read that book yet, but I, uh, I think the idea is universal, but I'm familiar with the book. I just haven't read it yet. It's uh, so it's atomic habits is great. Tiny habits is like the textbook of that of, of habits. Gotcha. It breaks it down into like behavioral psychology. It's, it's pretty good. If you geek out on that kind of thing, you like it. Um, yeah, I, I've, I think this is where to me and part of why I still do CrossFit is like the essence of it remains the same, whether you call mm-hmm. it CrossFit and you're doing thrusters and burpees, or if it's like you said, just walking around the block, the essence is the same. Like you want constantly varied functional movement at high intensity, <laughs> you know, and the intensity level is going to be a lot lower if you've done nothing for six years, you know, or you have injuries or whatever, but the prescription is still the same, right? It's like, I want you to move a little bit and then I want you to move a little more the next day, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think this is really an opportunity to, to, to take that step back, embrace what, why you started your gym and then look for new ways to kind of offer that to people. And the truth is like, one of the best pieces of advice I got early on with this was um, one gym owner uh, somewhere in uh, California said, oh yeah, with my clients, what I did was instead of just putting them all one-on-one, I grouped them into groups based on what classes they went to. And so they, that group would have their own, like a workout that was specific to that group and they would all be able to chat with each other. And I just thought that was brilliant because one of the best things about coming to our gyms when they're open is that you get to see your friends and work out with them. And in fact, Mm -hmm. once you get past the intermediate stage of, of being an athlete, you don't need a lot of coaching. Like you don't need somebody correcting your form every day on your deadlift when you've deadlifted a million times. Sure, you know, if you have Kelly Starrett come by and say, hey, if you think about this on your deadlift, that's going to help. But do you need that every single day? No, actually, you get more benefit working out alongside Joe, who just hit a PR of 550 on his deadlift. And meanwhile, you're trying to get to 525. You're going to push yourself working out with that group a little more than you would just doing it one on one. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So one of the questions I had to you, and you've kind of alluded it in different ways throughout um, this episode, but it's, it's sort of how you decide what, what tasks or roles to take on and how you 
take yourself out of stuff. So like you had mentioned, okay, I'm coaching zoom classes in the shutdown and then wait, maybe that's not the best use of my time. And I know a lot of, I know with myself, coaching classes is a big one of like, how often do I want to be doing it? And you know, if I do it too much, how does it take away from other things that I could be doing? How do you break down any given role in your business and say, you know what, I think I want to do this versus I don't want to do it. Yes. Um, okay. So my answer is based on your personality type. So I think someone like you, like if you tell me if I'm wrong, but if you have a spreadsheet in front of you that says, okay, this is how much this role is worth. And this is how much that I want to get paid then. And you see that those things are not in alignment, then you're going to say, okay, how do I move myself out of this role? Am I, am I, am I off there? To a certain extent, yes. Um, I also have seen where certain roles have carryover, like coaching a class can be, could be a huge boost in energy. It could also build a connection with the members that carries over into the next nine hours of your day because you coached a morning class and you were just like in the center of your business. Now, I think there's also diminishing returns when you're coaching three, four, five classes in a day as well. Yeah. So, but I agree with that. Yeah, the breakdown. So, and that's why I still coach from time to time is because I get that same sort of like boost, right? So for me, I think it's something that I learned when I was really young. It's really a gut feeling thing. It's like, I'm always asking myself, why am I doing this? (laughs) Right? Like, especially if I'm, if I find myself complaining at all, then I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending time doing this if I'm complaining about it? And uh, it's a lesson I've had to learn multiple times. And the, the thing the time that always stands out to me is one day on a Sunday when we opened uh, Hale and I was cleaning, uh, I was cleaning the gym. I was mopping the floors. It was five hours on a Sunday. And I was, it's because I want the gym to be clean. And I was like, this is maybe six months into the gym. And I said, I looked at myself and I'm like, why are you doing this? (laughs) Like you could pay somebody to do this and it would cost you, you know, 15 bucks an hour or whatever it costs at the time. And you could be spending these five hours with your kids or these five hours, you know, calling new clients. And it was like the next day I ordered one of those bulldogs and I hired a cleaning service. <laughs> I did both of those things the next day. Cause I, it, the reason why I was doing it is cause I couldn't afford not to do it. Right. I had to yeah. do it myself, but I said, you know what? Like the business itself was a risk. So if I'm going to stop taking risks just because I started the business, then like I'm, I might as well not have a business. So I'm going to take another risk and hire this cleaner and buy this bulldog and hope that I can use those five hours to bring in enough money to pay for that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the first, like, it's like a gut feeling. And then the second thing that I always do is whenever I have some new idea and I'm committed to actually doing it, I only commit to doing it for two weeks. Like that's the sort of, the, the, the over under, like when, uh, when we decided the reason I was coaching those zoom classes is cause I said, you know, we should have a morning class and uh, I'm not sure if it's going to work. So I'll commit to doing it. And once mm. I did that, people were showing up and I was like, okay, this is going to work. I'm watching my other coaches coach their classes that they had at other times in the day. And I said, you know, they're just as good as I am. I don't need to do this. I can get in front of people other ways. And so it was like the next week I said, Hey, you know, I'm only going to do this once a week. You guys cover the other ones. Um, All right, so it sounds like it's a combination of, of speed. You're able to implement faster if you just jump on it. 
also you're invested enough in it to be able to maybe help create systems around it or, or pr provide feedback on it to the next stage of people that are going to come in and do it. Yeah. And you know, part of it is if you find yourself in that situation where you feel like you have to coach the classes, well, then you have another problem. Like you're, you know, you're asking yourself, why am I doing this? Then you go, well, maybe my staff isn't good enough. I don't trust them to coach these classes because they're not good or they're unreliable and they go on vacation at the drop of a hat and now I have to cover everything. And it's like, okay, I need to come up with some system that's going to solve this problem because every moment that I spend doing something that somebody else could do, maybe even better, then I'm not spending that time growing the business, which is the one thing I have not figured out how to outsource. <laughs> no one is going to grow your business for you. So I was wondering if you had any other examples that you could think of off the top of your head of the, the why am I doing this moment? Something recently, is there anything, and I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, I think cleaning's a great example because there's still people that are cleaning their gyms, but I also think it, for some gym owners, it's an obvious example. Of course, I shouldn't be cleaning. It's not my skill set. Were there one or two roles for you recently or that you, I know you work with a lot of gym owners as well that you see gym owners doing that you're like, yeah, unless that's the thing that hundred percent fills you up more than anything else in the world, like step out of it. Yeah. Um, programming is definitely one of them is like, uh, you know, it's one that it's been, a, it's been years since I've been involved in that, but it is one of those things that gym owners struggle with. Um, now there's a bunch of programs that you can buy, but like ultimately your delivery matters more than your program, right? It's like how you, how you deliver your program is more important than what you do. Um, more recently, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a, a lot of different things that I did before I opened a gym. One of them was building websites. And more recently I was like, oh, I need to make changes to my website. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to spend time doing this. <laughs> like, I mean, I started digging in and doing some CSS and I was like, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is not the best use of your time. Like, you know what you want it to look like. Just call somebody or send an email and get them to do it for you because you need to be producing the content that goes on this website, not changing the fonts and colors, right? Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty common one as well. Um, I think, I, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram. Uh, you know, I don't, like, I, I use it. And I post on it sometimes, but I don't love it for the gym. Um, I, I think there are some gyms that crush it and, and bring in people through Instagram, but ours is not one of them. <laughs> and so I've had times where I've gone in and done it. And then now at this point, it's like, you know, look, uh, if there's things to promote, we'll put that on the content calendar. But otherwise, I'm just going to have somebody that's going to take pictures of the members or post pictures of the members because I don't see this as a opportunity for me to grow my business. It's just something that's fun for the members that keeps people engaged. That's, that's a good one. You kind of mentioned that earlier and I, I'm glad you brought it back up is uh, posting to Instagram and Facebook versus something like blog, uh, YouTube or video stuff that you could be doing instead and how you, you know, you feel like that's probably a, a better way to spend your time. Um, do you still think blogs are, are the way to go? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's almost, it's, it was said for so long for a while that it's almost like people have just overlooked it, I think, recently. Yeah. Um, and it's like Google's still super powerful. Google is still the way that a lot of people who are in the, in the buying mindset will look for stuff. Um, yeah. Where do you think that time should be spent? See, 
man, this is, this is why I like you, Andrew. You, you said the exact thing that I was going to say. So like <laughs> people, people go to Google when they're ready to take some sort of action or they have a specific question, right? And they, they do it with YouTube as well. They just go to Facebook to talk to their friends and Instagram to talk to their friends, see what their friends are doing and mess around, right? Um, you know, there's exceptions. I, I get it. But like, you know, even if you ask like a 20 year old and I'm far from being 20, like, where do they go if they want to, if they want to find something, they're going to go to Google. Right. And so if you put something up on your blog or on YouTube that is searchable and easily found on Google, that is answering the questions that your customers have, that thing that you created five years ago is still going to be useful today. And anything that you, if you do, try to do that same thing on Instagram, that's going to be useful for 24 to 48 hours max. Yeah. And so, you know, you could be amazing at Instagram, but that's going to be gone. And then you got to do something again the next day and then the next day and then the next day. And people aren't going to go back and look at all the stuff you used to do. You got to do it constantly. And so it's just a, it, it's a different kind of mindset. And ultimately you know, if you just want to be in business for the next 18 to 24 months, yeah, like spend all your time on Facebook and Instagram. Like, you know, you'll, you'll get a big, a big buildup and following. And then when you get tired of it and you find nobody to replace you with it, then all that traffic goes away. Versus if you want to be in business 10 years from now, start writing articles or producing videos that are going to solve people's problems that they are still going to have 10 years from now. Yeah. I mean, I think even with Facebook and Instagram, it seems like the two best uses for it that I've seen is either immediate lead generation. You have a specific, you know, you're going to get a lead. You're going to have a landing page. You're going to have a, a, a nurture series or a way to get them in, in person or on a phone call type of video or direct one-on-one -on -one communication where you're going, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat of like this person commented on a post. Well, let me start a conversation with them in the DM or something like that, where I go hand-to-hand -hand combat, where I think the traditional way, and we're guilty of this as much as anybody, is we're kind of just doing it for general views and content and participation rather than um, a specific goal in mind of leads or conversations. Yeah. And, I, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I don't think those are good channels. I just think, I mean, I've now, you've been in business now for 10 years. I've been in business for 11 years. I can't think of an Instagram post that I ever did or a Facebook post <laughs> that is still bringing me customers five, 10 years later. Yeah. I do look at my blog and I see that a post that I wrote, I don't know, 2014, that it answers the question of will CrossFit make me bulky? It still gets like a hundred hits every month. And it's like, this is one of the questions that people are asking. <laughs> so if I'm going to spend my creative time trying to create something that is going to last long-term, I'm going to put it there or I'm going to put it in YouTube. Now that may change if YouTube changes the way they do things, but it's still, it's still one of the best ways to find answers to the questions you're looking for. And so, yeah, I think DMs is an amazing way to use Instagram. And I also think it's an amazing way to promote that, that evergreen content that you've put on your blog or that you've put on uh, in your podcast or you've put on YouTube. Um, but ultimately, unless your goal is to get paid directly through them, then if you're trying to build a business, then you need to have long-term assets that people can keep coming back to. 
how do you, when you have a blog of someone, you know, telling tell females that CrossFit doesn't make them bulky and all that, how do you translate that into a buyer? You know, something from four or five years ago, is it putting a, hey, book a no sweat intro at the bottom of it and a link? How do you translate that into a buyer? And, you know, this is uh, kind of going back to what we were saying before. Um, it took me 18 months of getting emails uh, from that original CrossFit gym before I finally joined. And it might be that that's one of many things that you can do. Um, I think, I think ultimately you need to have some sort of call to action at the end of everything that you do. It's like, you know, click here to book a free intro or book a no sweat intro or whatever you want to call it, or click here to buy something where people know when they go to any of your stuff, they know how to take that next action. But ultimately I think in the long term, when I buy something and probably when you buy something, you don't buy it the first time you see it, right? You, you check it out. You know, maybe you think about it, you know, maybe you put it in the back of your head, you, you, Oh, that's a nice reference. And then when you're ready, you know, let's say you're thinking about a laptop. Oh, let's, let me go see what Apple has to offer. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I got, I had Apple products before they were always good. I need a new one. I'm not going to consider anyone else. Right. And so it might be that they have to see 10 blog posts about, you know, making it, not making you bulky mm -hmm. <laughs> before they actually buy something. But when they do have that call to action so that they know where to go. Um, cool. One of the, one of the best, and actually combining this, one of the best strategies I've heard for this and for a small gym, this might be a little more difficult, but if you have some skills with Facebook, you create a blog post that says, uh, will CrossFit make me bulky, right? Or something that works for your audience. And somebody clicks on that blog post, you have a Facebook tracking pixel on that post and that pixel follows them around. And then you have, let's say three or four videos of testimonials where women mm. say something, women at your gym say, I thought it was gonna make me bulky, but it turns out I'm in the best shape of my life. And then you retarget that client and you show them those videos in their Facebook feed. So just for those people. So now you've gotten in front of them once with something they were interested in. You've given them follow-up things with things they're interested in. And at the end of each one of those, click here to book a free intro. Right? Mm -hmm. so, so then it feels like this conversation is going on in their head all the time. It's just like, yeah. you know what? I've heard, you know, and now I'm seeing all this evidence. I've heard that CrossFit won't make me bulky. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, people that are producing consistent content already on, on Facebook and Instagram, which I see a lot of gyms that are doing it, they're putting out pretty decent content, but it's that little bit of a flip, like you're saying there, to just add a retargeting feature, um, build, build consistent messaging so the thing that they clicked on matches up with something else that follows up with it. Those little tweaks can really make a huge difference. You know, the other thing, uh, looking, looking at marketing and kind of going long-term, you're asking, you know, what are we doing long-term? I think all of my time needs to be spent on building marketing assets. And what I look at when I'm building those assets is stuff outside of our industry, because it's really easy to, you know, you have CrossFit Palm Beach. It's really easy for you to go to, you know, look at I don't know, CrossFit fire down the street or whatever other gyms you have down the street or even ones across the country and go, Oh, you know, what is uh, CrossFit Joe doing? Oh man, they have a really great, you know, Instagram presence. Let me do what CrossFit Joe is doing. 
the truth is like CrossFit Joe is probably not doing much better than you are. You really might want to look is what is, uh, you know, what is Elon Musk doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's too big of an example, but you know, what is, uh, you know, what are, what is Amazon doing? What are some of the bigger companies doing or maybe just smaller companies that are kind of in the same uh, realm? Maybe what yeah. food trucks are doing, for example, like how are food trucks bringing clients to them because they don't have a, a stable location? Yeah, I think restaurants and breweries are very similar to uh, a CrossFit gym. Yep, and coffee shops, things like that, right? Um, churches are a really good one to look at. Like, mm -hmm. find out what Joel Osteen, 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 find yeah. out what he's doing. Uh, because, you know, that guy makes millions and millions of dollars uh, just talking, right? And so, and so find out what their marketing strategy is and take some of the best things you can find from there and apply it to your business. Do you have any good resources? Like I'm thinking like podcasts or anything or books. Like, um, I know one that popped into my head is a guy by the name of Jay Abraham. Um, he's worked with, um, I think like, yeah, exactly. I think he works with like Damon John and, uh, Ramit Sethi. If you follow his blog and his stuff from, I will teach you to be rich, but, um, he's got some cool stuff. If people want to hear, some of his different marketing tactics that he'll do. Is there any that you have that you can think of? Um, I like, uh, I like story brand. So some of the stuff that Donald Miller's been doing has been really good. Um, I think yeah, you turned me onto that, his class that I, I went through, which was awesome for us for re we rewrote our core values, rewrote our mission. That was awesome. The thing I like about that is it's not, it's not as specific as some of the stuff that, um, copywriters like Jay Abraham will do, but it's a little more like, let's just go back to what your values are. Make sure that you're communicating a clear message about your values. Make sure that your, you know, your customers know it, et cetera. Um, so I like some of his stuff. If you really want to dig into like copywriting, uh, you know, look at the, the guys that, that used to do it. I mean, you know, the guys that wrote like print ads are, mm -hmm. are some of the best ones. Um, I think Ramit Sethi is a, is a good uh, example. There's a, there's a smaller one actually. Um, uh, he writes, uh, I forget his name now. I'll, I'll think of it, but it's, he has a course called the copywriting course with two K's. Mm -hmm. So copywriting is K and then the course is K and uh, his name is Neville med something or other. Um, okay. He's very simple, very straightforward writer and everything that I've done from taking his courses has given me great results. Um, and he purposefully kind of keeps things small and simple so that he focuses on small businesses. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think those are the things. Um, one of the best things that I like about marketing is that there's no right answer, despite what some of the best marketers will tell you, there's just no right answer. And so sometimes it's having really good copy Sometimes it's doing great video. Sometimes it's just shaking people's hands. You know, if you, if you talk to Jason Kalipa, it's like part of the reason he is so successful is because he's like the mayor of the, every town that he walks into, right? Yeah. Just, you know, he's just, he's just very friendly, outgoing, shakes everyone's hands, you know, really engages and pays attention to them. And like, there's no amount of copy that is going to, is going to do better than that. <laughs> you know, so there's no right answer. So just find the style that kind of works for you, whether it's writing or videos or, or just, you know, going out and shaking hands and 
find somebody in that space that, uh, that you can kind of emulate. Yeah. Well, I wanted to highlight one thing you had mentioned earlier, which was the, the term marketing asset. I think just that term alone can flip your thinking about it is like, what is, what is something you can create from a marketing perspective that could potentially pay off for years or decades, as opposed to just a quick conversion? Yes. You know, and I, I know like with our podcast that we have for the gym, not this one, but our living superhuman one, which is mainly for the gym, you know, we, we have a handful of people that come in that, that look at us like mini celebrities because they've been listening to the podcast yep. prior to ever walking through our doors. And those are, I mean, those are easy sales for us. It's not a ton of them, but it's, it is an asset in that sense. Is it the best use of our time? Who knows at this point, but it's at least a use of a time that is paying off, uh, you know, with some dividends for years, not just it either works or it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts you ever did, I don't remember which one it was, but was when you talked about how this show went from, you know, no, no listeners to, mm -hmm. you know, however many listeners you have now. And like, just talking about that journey and like, you know, that first episode is going to suck, you know, and you know that like, no one's going to listen to it and no one's going to care. And it's like, you're building the audience over time. And then they go back and look at the thing. And this is what I did. I would go back and look at your episodes. I'm like, Ooh, that one looks interesting. Let me listen to that one. You know? And even though it might be the third one and your audio is terrible and you know, the thing cuts in and out, I'm still listening. Cause it's like, that's useful information that I want. And I like this guy because he's been doing this and I've liked some of his recent episodes. So I'm going to go back to the old ones. That's the same thing that you're doing at your gym, right? It's like you're creating this, this sort of asset that people can keep coming back to over and over again. Yeah. It's almost like this little trail of breadcrumbs where they can go from, you might still use Facebook or Instagram, but they could take it to a blog post, which takes them to another blog post, which, you know, over time that builds authority and trust. And hopefully that leads to a conversion at some point. And it's, you know, it's not a forever asset. I mean, it's like, you know, if you were writing about how to do kipping pull-ups 10 years ago, you know, people are less interested in that nowadays, right? And yeah. so you might need to write a new article about how to get your first strict pull-up, right? Uh, it's just like your rowers, like you buy them once, you hope they'll last five, 10 years and, you know, they eventually wear out, they need maintenance, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I mean, if you can get five years out of a blog post, that would be amazing, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a blog post. I spent, uh, it was like two years ago, we did kind of a rebranding. We got all new logos and everything. And I hired somebody and I think we spent like $2,500 to do it. And she produced probably 15 or 20 different versions of the logo that we use. And she gave them all in all the different formats. And we have like a style guide and everything. And I, it's like, I use, I go to that folder a Dropbox folder with those logos almost every single day. Mm -hmm. And I just, I thought about it. 2,500 bucks is a very small price to pay for having all this different variety of logos. Like I've never had to design t-shirts. You know, we, anytime we do anything, there's just logos everywhere all the time. And so that would be an example of a, of an asset as well. I love it. Cool. Well, I have like a million other questions, but I'm going to cap it off here. Um, we could definitely do a part two or part three sometime in the future, but um, is there anything that you wanted to leave the audience with or any way that people could find you or get in touch with you? Um, yeah. So um, if you want to get in touch with me, best way to do that is just email me uh, j at crossfithale.com. 
Um, I try to get to the emails, you know, in about 48 hours or so. Um, I, it's funny because I was thinking about this before we started. I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> so uh, maybe we could flip the script sometime. I will interview you. Um, the, the last thing I just want to say, the, the sort of parting thing, and I've always struggled with this uh, until I had to open a gym and, you know, had kids and sort of became an adult is uh, just the things you do every day matter a lot more than the things you're super excited about and only do for four to six weeks. Um, it's the consistency that matters. And part of why we had this, uh, this interview is because I sent you a note and I just said, dude, you got a hundred episodes. Like most people will never get there on their podcasts. And I just respect and appreciate that consistency. So uh, if you take anything away from this, take that away. Awesome. I love it. Let's finish on that. Thanks for joining us, Jay. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome.